Really good to have Paul and Grace here. Um, so this morning is Pentecost, and um, we, we've particularly asked Paul and Grace to help us as a church to press in more to the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And so, great day to be beginning that is Pentecost. And, bef- and we just wanted to give a little bit of an introduction to Paul and Grace, if you don't know them. So they, um, do you want to come, come up? And you can probably summarize it better than me. But they, they lead a ministry called Champions of Hope, which runs a lot of great events um, around the city and connecting people from overseas and bringing some brilliant uh, stuff into, brilliant life of the kingdom into Bristol. And then Grace also is on team with the Release Academy, which has come from Bethel in California. And it's a course, which they, it's a school, ministry school that's been running in, in Bristol. And um, so do you want to say a bit about those two things? Okay, Release Academy, uh, which Alice actually teaches on. She does her um, course on a Wednesday morning, isn't it, with us? Um, this is a shout-out. If anyone is feeling like you are a place in light where you would really love to spend more time focusing on your faith and the outworking of it, and learning to hear more, learning your skills about how do I hear from God, but also what are my gifts having a place where you can train those gifts. Um, Then Release Academy was set up particularly for you. And it was set up not for one church, but the whole of the city, because we really feel that there's a need for people to have more than what we can do on a Sunday morning at church. Um, And some churches are better than others, that they're able with more capacity to do courses and to just give you time um, to do more, I guess, what we get introduced to on Alpha, which is everyone has a destiny. We've all got gifts. God loves each one of us. And then some of us, that's as far as we get. But actually, there's an opportunity for us to give you some time to focus on, well, what are those gifts? Actually, Paul Tipler here. Paul, give us a wave. He's done Release Academy, so if anyone wants to go and ask him some questions, please do. In fact, I should have probably got you to come up, because it makes more sense you saying than I do. But I love doing it. I had a privilege of going to a church um, in California called Bethel that Chris just mentioned. We spent three years basically doing that. And I went there because I was hungry to see what's happening in the Bible. I mean, Jesus is raising people from the dead. People are getting healed. People are getting set free. And I was so hungry to go, well, where is that? And it's not that it doesn't happen around the world, but there are certain places that you're hearing of it happening. And I'd like to actually say it's happening so much here in the UK. And I can confidently say there is so much going on in our own nation. Perhaps we're not always that good at communicating it. Um, And sometimes we haven't had a chance to be able to get exposed to that. So one of the high values is telling testimonies and then saying, well, if you've seen it, we've all got the Holy Spirit. He's resident. Paul's going to talk about it today. Well, why can't I see it in my life? So Release Academy was set up as a um, full-time and evening course. And if you want to find out more about that, it lasts a year. Come and talk to me. Nice one. Great. Well, uh, Champions of Hope. So anyway, hi, everyone. Um, we've, uh, we know many people here, and we've had the, the joy of coming over the years and preaching from time to time. Um, doing different events and things here. Um, I was part of the uh, leadership team at E5 Church in Stokescroft for about four years and then took a break from church leadership uh, for a couple of years. And we just kind of focused on our own ministry, really, with Champions of Hope. And then really felt called to, to just come and be with you guys here and help sow into what God is doing through this church and in this church uh, in the next season. So I don't know what else to say about the ministry. I guess if you, you're interested, we've got a uh, website and Facebook group and different talks and resources and things that we, uh, we put up on there. And we do have a conference coming up on Saturday. It's a little bit last minute. Um, so at, at Trinity College uh, from 10 until 4, I think maybe you guys sent something out in the, in the newsletter. So if you get the news email, 
and you haven't read it yet, you can read that and find out about the conference we've got. Uh, it's a healing conference on Saturday. Um, it's free, but do please register if you're coming so we know numbers. So, yeah. Am I, am I just segueing into myself now? All right. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, this morning, um, it's, it's Pentecost. So Pentecost, you know, it's the time when we, we celebrate in the church calendar the coming of the Holy Spirit. And hopefully, most of us, if not all of us know, we believe in God who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, um, all equally God, all one God, but distinct uh, in distinct persons. And the, this is the, the, the triune God, and it's one of the most complicated and confusing ideas in all of Christianity. In fact, I think it's so confusing it must be true. Nobody would ever have come up with it because it's just too weird. Um, but it's, it's, central, it's central to the Christian faith. It's actually central to everything that we, we believe uh, about God, everything we believe about the gospel uh, and the scripture is, uh, is seeing God in his uh, triune being. I'm not preaching specifically about the Trinity today, but it's just to say that when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about just an energy or a force or something that's impersonal. We're talking about the very person of God. Jesus said God is spirit. God is the Spirit. So the person of the Holy Spirit is, is the person of God. And he is a central, key, essential part of our Christian faith and of the, the message of the Bible. What I'm going to do this morning is I just want to jump very quickly through a couple of key kind of highlights, really, headline points. I'm just going to talk for maybe 20 minutes, and we're going to go into worship and really make space for response and activation. Uh, so I hope that's cool with you. Really a subject like the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit is just a subject of tons of books, hours and hours of teaching and what have you. So any, some, some stuff I say today might beg the question. If it begs the question, come talk to me. Uh, that's fine. All right? Let me crack on. And you shall receive power. You remember when, when, Jesus, when Jesus was preparing the disciples for his ascension, that is after he's risen from the dead and before he goes to heaven, he says to them, you're going to be my witnesses, and you're going to go all over the world, and you're going to witness me, and you're going to witness for me. And I think it's interesting that witnesses have to have actually seen something to be able to say something. Sometimes in the church, we talk about witnessing as if witnessing is what you say. So let's teach people how to witness means let's teach them what to say. Let's teach them what to say to other people. But Actually, the, the emphasis on witnessing is what you see, not on what you say. It's have you seen Jesus? Can you see Jesus? Can you locate him? If we haven't seen anything, then we haven't really got anything to say. So God wants us to see things, right? Jesus says, I, I, in, uh, in John's gospel, he says, I want my disciples, he's praying to the Father, and he says, I want my disciples to behold my glory, to be able to be with me where I am. So the Bible says that the earth is full of the glory of God, and it will be full of the knowledge of the glory of God. So our participation in the Christian life and mission is the spreading of the knowledge of the glory of God, the witness of the glory of God. We have to be able to see God in His glory. That's what, that's what He wants for us, to be able to see and experience Him. But, and Jesus said to the disciples, you're going to go and do this, but how are you going to do it? You're going to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So he tells them, after he's risen from the dead, he says, go and wait in Jerusalem until you get what I've promised you, which is the Holy Spirit. Let's move on. Great. Now, one of the key names of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. Only problem with this is it's not a very good translation of the word aletheia in Greek, um, which uh, when we say the word truth, we usually think in terms of like, kind of like an abstract idea. Is it true or isn't it true? Like, is it true that there's water on Mars? Uh, I think that is true. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting my astronomy wrong. Someone who's very into that would be able to tell me. I think it's true that there's water on Mars, but whether there's water on Mars or not has absolutely no impact whatsoever in what's going on in my life right now. Absolutely zero impact. Makes no difference at all. It's either true or it's not true, but it makes no difference. That isn't the word aletheia. That's like an abstract, an abstract idea of truth. And Jesus said, this is a famous verse, the spirit of truth will lead you into all truth, right? Or, or often that's how we have translated the word and that's how we teach it. The problem with this is that it sets up this idea that the Holy Spirit comes to tell us things and then when we learn those things, we can then do them. So it's like, here's Holy Spirit, he's, he's outside, he comes to me, and he tells me, okay, this is how you are a good Christian, or this is how you pray, or this is how you do X, Y, Z, now go ahead and do it. That's like the concept of truth. It's like instruction. It's an intellectual exercise. But actually, the word aletheia, as you can see up here, is better translated as the word reality. Because the spirit of reality will guide you into all reality. What is reality? Reality is God's world. Reality is God's mode of being. It's his very person. It's his very presence. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Shadowlands where he said this, this world we're living in is a, a kind of shadowy uh, image of the reality that is, is God's world. And that world kind of bleeds into this one, flows into this one, but, uh, but a lot of the time the way we're living and what we're experiencing doesn't look like what God has actually made available for us in his reality. So when Jesus says the spirit of reality will guide you into all reality, what he's saying is that the, the reality that is God's truth is going to, uh, by the Holy Spirit and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that reality is going to become manifest, it's going to become revealed in your own life. The spirit of reality will guide you into reality. So what might that look like? Well, we could say, um, Jesus is the healer. Thank you for turning me down, Chris. Um, Jesus, is the, Jesus is the healer. That's true. Okay? It's true that Jesus is the healer. Now, the spirit of truth guides us into all truth might mean, well, I didn't believe Jesus is the healer, and now I do, or now I agree that he is. But spirit of reality will guide you into all reality means that when Holy Spirit turns up to reveal Jesus is the healer, that means people actually get healed because that's reality. It's not just an idea, it's a manifest reality, right? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That's great, but do you have inner peace? Do you walk around in inner peace? Like our world today is in desperate need of inner peace. Inner peace is our territory. That's the Christian territory, inner peace. Our Messiah is the Prince of Peace. But is that just truth or is it reality? Sometimes maybe it's truth and it's not a reality. But the Holy Spirit, what does he do? Is he takes that reality 
and brings it into our manifest experience. What, what is the reality of God? God is always at peace. God is always in joy. God is always in love. God is always in hope. We're not, but the Holy Spirit takes that reality and manifests it in our lives. That's what he does. He, he, he takes this invisible world and it, and it represents, it comes out in the, in the physical world. So this is, this is Jesus saying what the Holy Spirit does. His primary function is not to come and educate us. Education is good, but that's not actually what the Holy Spirit is interested in doing. Education is a head exercise. Reality is a whole person exercise. It's, a, it's an all-encompassing exercise. So just jumping back, uh, one of the things I wanted to, one of the purposes of teaching a little bit before we go into some kind of ministry today is I'm aware that sometimes in our, in our Christian life, we can compartmentalize things and we can say, for instance, oh, well, um, having an experience of the Holy Spirit or that, that's, that's being charismatic or that's being Pentecostal and, you know, that's this category of Christian experience over here is to do with the Holy Spirit. And over here, there's this, uh, all these other categories of experience that don't necessarily have anything to do with Holy Spirit. So we do teaching, we do kids' work, we do, um, you know, our, our job, how about that? Our, we do family over here. And, then, uh, and we've got this small category of things, we might call it healing or prophecy or something like that, which are the charismatic things that are to do with Holy Spirit. We kind of, we separate that off and we say, oh, well, I'm not so into these things or I don't get them, but I do get these things over here. We divide, we divide them up. One of the things I want to, I, I, I want to show you today, or at least give you a bit of a taste of today, is that the entire focus of the whole Bible points towards you having and being full of the reality of the Holy Spirit. That's the entire focus. In fact, a friend of mine was uh, uh, talking to me, um, he's a theologian, he was talking to me about John's gospel. He said, if you just read John's gospel, you would think that it's not even about Jesus. You'd think that it's all about the Holy Spirit, because everything in John's gospel points towards Jesus going away and sending the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus himself says, it's good for you that I go away, because if I don't go away, you won't get the Holy Spirit, and it's better for you that you have the Holy Spirit. Why is it better? Well, if you have um, Jesus in the flesh, that's good, but, you know, he can only be in one place at one time. You can talk to him, but he's, you know, if there's however many of us, 60, 70 of us in the room today, if we all wanted to talk to Jesus at once, if he was standing here, it would be a little bit difficult. So he's with us, but Jesus is when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to find that actually he's not just with you, he is in you, and he's in all of us simultaneously, able to do all things at all times. So, um, so Jesus is, is saying, he, he's, he sets the disciples up to expect the Holy Spirit, and they didn't understand that. They thought, it's not good for us that Jesus goes away. And he's saying, no, it really is good for you that I go, because actually now I'm going to be in you. I'm not just going to be with you. I'm going to be in you. But actually, this is the whole focus of the, uh, of the entire Bible. So when we, we start out in Genesis 2, this is the story of God creating man, and man is, uh, is called Adam. Actually, the word Adam in Hebrew means uh, one from the earth, one from the ground. And if you remember the story, God uh, digs the soil. He digs the earth um, out uh, in the garden, and he forms the, the body of Adam. And then it says, God breathed his breath into Adam. And this is really significant because the word breath, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, in the Hebrew it's ruach, in the Greek it's uh, 
pneuma, or pneuma, we'd say in uh, modern Greek. Um, pneuma, like pneumatic, and uh, ruach, both of these words, they mean both breath and spirit. Because the idea is that the breath, when you're breathing in and out, this is a, a symbol of what spirit is. So when it says God breathed his breath into Adam, it's saying God breathed his Holy Spirit into Adam, and that's what made Adam a living being. And this was a, this is a unique picture of creation, that when in Genesis 1, God's creating, you know, animals, the, the, the fish, you know, the, the sky, trees, etc. He, he creates them by, by speaking a word. Um, if you think about it, what is a word? A word is the vibration of the breath, right? You breathe out and your vocal cords vibrate the breath and that makes a sound. Of course, Jesus is called the word, right? So Jesus is the vibration of the spirit. God creates in Genesis 1 through the vibration of the spirit, which is the word of God. But in Genesis 2, when he creates man, it, it changes the image. And it says God breathed himself, his a very spirit into Adam. And that's what made Adam uh, a living being. Adam came alive because the Spirit of God was in him. It's a really important picture. And then what we, what we get in the story is that Adam is deceived and thinks he has to do something to become like God. Do you remember what the serpent says to Adam? Uh, or it says to Eve, doesn't he? But um, we can't dig into those, in, uh, those differences in too much detail right now. Um, this, is, this is Satan's message to humanity. Let's put it that way. And that is, you have to do this thing to become like God. Whereas Genesis 2 has already told us the only reason Adam is alive is because God is living in him by his spirit. That's the very force that's powering the life of Adam is the spirit of God inside him. So when the snake comes and says to him, well, you want to become like God, don't you? You need to do this thing. You need to go and eat this fruit. You need to adopt this other way of looking at things, and then you can become like God. Of course, it's a deception because Adam's already like God. He's already the image. In fact, he's the inhabitation of God because where's God's spirit living? It's living inside Adam. And this is what Eden, the garden, symbolizes, what it represents. Eden means paradise or pleasure. It's the garden of God's delight. It's the, it's the place of ultimate enjoyment uh, and in, of inhabiting the world in God, with God, through God, participating in union with him. That's the picture of Eden. And so when Adam... Uh, has to leave the garden, the, this is um, it's supposed to say to us, it's a picture of the human condition. The picture of the human condition is we recognize something is missing. We recognize that there is this idea or this place called Eden where everything is wonderful, everything is beautiful, everything works properly, everything's alive, and we recognize this is God's reality, it's God's truth, but actually our experience is not very much like Eden a lot of the time. Our experience is full of all kinds of other harsh realities, which are symbolized by the thorns and the thistles that grow up out of the ground. Incidentally, when Jesus was in another garden, Gethsemane, he sweat blood out of his brow, and then he ends up wearing the crown of thorns. The very, the very thing that was the curse is the thing that crowns Jesus uh, on the cross. And that is a breaking or an undoing of the curse of the thorns. Um, incidentally. So uh, the whole picture of the, the Old Testament starts with this idea that it's trying to diagnose the human condition. It's saying all the problems that we have as people are because we've had this perceived disconnection with Eden. And the disconnection with Eden means a disconnection with God and his reality. 
So then, uh, going throughout, uh, let me hit the next slide. Um, so the the throughout the the Old Testament, there is this trajectory, which again we don't have time to unpack it in in any detail, but there's a trajectory which begins to culminate in the in the 500 years before uh, Jesus is uh, born on the earth. It begins to culminate in this idea in, in Jewish thought of how do we get back to Eden. It starts with the Torah. It starts with this, let's, if we keep all of these rules, if we keep all of these laws externally, then we can get close to God. And it doesn't work. And then it, as, as time goes on, you end up in the, the 500 years before um, Christ, the, the Pharisee, Pharisee sect of which the Apostle Paul was one. They have a shift uh, towards recognizing, actually, this is a, a spiritual matter. It's not um, primarily about this, these external things. It is about them as well in, in their thinking. But actually, it turns into how do we actually get the Holy Spirit in us? How do we contact the Holy Spirit? How do we receive the Holy Spirit? And the whole trajectory of the Old Testament is pointed in this direction. So you see in the Old Testament, there are different individuals who are highlighted as having the Holy Spirit. There's different languages used. Sometimes it says the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Sometimes it says the Holy Spirit is within them. In the New Testament, it talks about the prophets and says the Spirit of Christ was in them when he was predicting the coming of Christ. So actually, sometimes people have taught, well, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was on people, but in the New Testament, Holy Spirit is in people. It's not strictly speaking correct. The Bible begins with the Holy Spirit in Adam, and there are many people throughout the Old Testament who the Bible says have the Holy Spirit in them, uh, as well as the Holy Spirit being on them or around them or with them. But the whole trajectory is towards this. Uh, but the, the mindset in Judaism is just a little bit like a ladder that you've got to climb. So you kind of imagine, well, Eden is up there somewhere because God is up there and I can't fly up there to reach him. You know, he's in this sort of cosmic temple, um, you know, in the ether somewhere up there. And I really want to get to him because that would be getting back to Eden. How do I do it? And they came up with this whole scheme of different kinds of prayer and different kinds of meditation and practices, all these sort of things to try and make themselves holy enough to be able to climb up that ladder to get to God. Of course, what they missed was that they were repeating the very mistake that Adam made in the garden, which was to listen to the snake who said, you have to do this thing in order to become. So they constantly set up a religious scheme that is trying to do all these things in order to become, or, or trying to climb this ladder in order to reach God. The Apostle Paul says, don't say in your heart, who will rise up into heaven in order to get Christ? He says, don't say it, because Christ has already come down to you. Okay? So the point when Jesus comes, all the Jews want the Holy Spirit. That's what they want. It's the goal, to have the Holy Spirit. Now, the prophets in the Old Testament are kind of a, a, a picture or a, a type of those who have the life of the Spirit. And I thought it would be worthwhile to um, give a little brief comparison of what it really means, what the word prophet really means. The actual word prophet, as we say it, comes from the Greek, uh, but the Hebrew word is uh, nabi, as you can see up there on the slide. And it's an interesting word because it literally means to bubble up, boil up, to ferment like wine or alcohol, uh, to spill over, and it's actually connected to the word madman, interestingly. Because the, the, prophets, the prophets were kind of nuts. 
I mean, I don't know if you ever noticed Isaiah walk around naked for two years or whatever it was. Or you got Ezekiel who lies on his side. You know, they did some pretty nuts things. You look at some of the, the, the things that they see. Ezekiel's vision of this kind of crazy maelstrom and fire and creatures with heads and eyes and wings flying around. And Ezekiel's like, I saw this vision and bang, I was on the ground as though dead for however many days. Like he's comatose by what he, what he sees. So the, the, the word prophet in Old Testament thinking is connected to the word uh, madman. But the idea is that something is, something is bubbling up, boiling up and overtaking you. It's, and it's jumping out uncontrollably. The Holy Spirit is not a controllable force. You can't box him. You can't restrict him. It's a bubbling up or a boiling over. Proverbs 3, 5, 6, I think is a great picture of this. It's trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, which is your mind. There is a, a picture here about the difference between whether we're operating from the mind or whether we're operating from the heart. Proverbs also says, guard your heart because from the heart flow all the issues of life. Okay? For us, I think what ends up happening a lot of the time is we substitute the authentic experience of the Holy Spirit with an intellectual facsimile. We get the idea of the things of the Spirit, we get the idea of the Christian faith, and then we seek to live from what we understand, and we don't see an awful lot happen. The picture that's shown to us from the Old Testament is of something that is bubbling up from a different place. It's not flying out from, your, from up here. It's something that's coming up from in here, deep inside you, that's bubbling up and out. Life in the Spirit. How does Jesus put it? John 4, when he's talking to the woman at the well, Saint Fatina, my favorite saint, she's called one of the four cornerstone apostles of the church, and she was a miracle worker. Uh, she went to Nero's palace, converted Nero's brother. They couldn't kill her. They tried to throw her in fire. It didn't work. She had a band of female apostles, prophets, and uh, miracle workers. And her, her relationship, her kind of um, life and ministry with Jesus started at a well. And in the end, she was martyred by being thrown down a well. Kind of started and finished with a well. Her life's message was about the well. And it starts at a well for her. And they have this conversation about water, if you remember the story. It's John 4. You can go and have a look if you, if you want later on. But he says to her, if anyone drinks of the water that I give them, it will become for them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the image he's giving them is of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, if you drink what I give you, then inside you, you're going to find there's a well. That well is the well of the Holy Spirit, and it may have been deep down and hidden before, but it's now going to well up, and it's going to well up and irrigate your whole life, a spring coming from the inside out. This is the same picture in the Old Testament of the bubbling up of the, the prophets, the bubbling up of the, uh, and the boiling over. That's John 4. John 7, a few chapters later, Jesus builds on this idea, and he says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow forth from them. So what begins in, in John 4 as a spring that rises up within them, then in John 7 becomes rivers, multiple rivers that flow forth from them. There's a rising up and a flowing out. This is a picture of the Christian life. This is a picture of the Christian ministry. It's not whoever gets educated by me will learn how to live like a good Christian. Not Christianity. That's Judaism. The Christian gospel is you drink a little bit of Jesus' water, it unlocks this life of the Spirit, which actually, according to Genesis 2, is the very life of humanity anyway. 
because Adam only lives because the Spirit of God is in him and makes him alive. That releases, it breaks open the spring of the life of the Spirit that bubbles up and then boils over and then is released from your life as torrents of rivers, of rushing water, that everywhere those rivers go, they create life, they create resurrection, they create healing, they create transformation, they create breakthrough. This is the picture of the Christian life that Jesus has given us. John's gospel sets up the whole, uh, the whole caboodle to getting the Holy Spirit and getting in the flow of the Holy Spirit. It's not an optional extra. It's the whole thing. The whole picture is having and knowing the life of the Spirit. In fact, Jesus said, what is eternal life? Like sometimes people think of eternal life like it's a ticket to heaven when you die. Never says that in the Bible. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and know Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Know is a bit like that word aletheia, reality, not truth. Know means intimate knowledge, experiential knowledge. Jesus says uh, eternal life is to have experiential knowledge of the true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. How do we have that experiential knowledge? It's in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals the Father. The Holy Spirit reveals the Son. The Holy Spirit reveals who we really are. This, the, the whole trajectory of the Christian faith is towards this. So then finally, when the, the disciples have been told to wait until they get this experience of the Holy Spirit, they're there in the upper room. The, Jesus said, go, go and wait in Jerusalem. They're there and they're praying. And then they get, this, uh, they, they get the experience of the Holy Spirit for the first time. And uh, we probably all know the story. You can go and uh, have a look at it in, in Acts 2. But I just um, you know, put this up there. If you want the PowerPoint, you can have it and you know, read it. If you don't want to go and search for the stuff yourself, that's fine. Um, but what actually happens is that they're, they're sitting down in the house, and then it says there's a sound of a mighty rushing wind, it kind of like the sound of a jet engine. You imagine that, how loud a jet engine is. And then it says the, the Holy Spirit fills the whole place where they're sitting. Um, fire appears in the air above them and comes down and rests on top of them. Then, then they're all filled. And as they're filled, they begin to speak. They begin to bubble over with tongues and prophesying. And then they physically spill out of the upper room. They bubble out, boil over into the street. And then they have this kind of crazy you know, meeting where thousands of people become Christians uh, immediately. And this is the birth of the church. This is this explosive energy, the explosive power of the Holy Spirit bubbling up and boiling over. There in, in Acts 2, they embody... John 4 and John 7, the rising up and the flowing out. Now, I just want to give two specific points of that one, and then we're going to land the plane, and, uh, or maybe take the plane off. I don't know which way we're going. Um, and uh, and as, instead of just talking about the Holy Spirit, we're going to let him present reality, because we're not just talking truth, we're talking reality. So it's interesting to me here in, in the book of Acts, it says that the Holy Spirit lands when they're sitting down. And what's conspicuous is that Jews don't pray when they're sitting down. Jews pray standing up or kneeling down or prostrate. They, they never pray sitting. 
So here you've got a bunch of Jews in the upper room and they're sitting down and that's when the Holy Spirit comes. I think that's significant because often we think the way to get the Holy Spirit is we we get Holy Spirit through praying lots or through singing songs or all of that's fine. But actually, again, when we, we adopt those ways of thinking, we're kind of drifting back into this Jewish idea that we have to climb up a ladder. We climb up a ladder by praying enough or by reading enough Bible or by being holy enough or by singing enough or whatever. And if we, if we do that, then we can somehow qualify to get the Holy Spirit. But the, the, the story of the book of Acts is a total reversal. Everything is upside down uh, in, in the book of Acts. Actually, the whole New Testament is, turns and flips everything on its head uh, from the old. But here, instead of, instead of the, the apostles climbing up to get the fire, the fire appears and it comes down onto them and it remains. So this is, the, this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of grace. We don't earn it. We don't, there's nothing we can do to get it. You can't get God. Actually, God's already got you. That's how this thing works. He comes after you. He's the initiator. He's the one who fills. You don't fill. He fills. Often people, when we get into kind of prayer time or things, people are like, oh, how do I get the Holy Spirit? You don't. He gets you. <laughs> Just with Jesus. You didn't get Jesus. Jesus came and got you. No one can come to the Son unless the Father draws him. The Father came to get you. Just by virtue of you believing in Jesus at all means that God must have already got past you, must have, must have got over you and got to you. So you're already starting in a pretty good place. Thanks, God. So when they're sitting down, what is it that they're actually doing when they're sitting down? They're just relating to one another. They're, they're, they're chatting. They're fellowshipping. And I think this is really important for us as we, we kind of go in and, and look at this next period of time into how we go deeper in the things of the Spirit, go deeper in the life of the Spirit as a church. Uh, one of the things we have to recognize is that the primary place Holy Spirit wants to land isn't in our prayer meetings, isn't in our Sunday morning worship meetings, the primary place he wants to land is in our everyday interactions with one another and with other people. That's where he wants to land. The, the, the center of gravity of the movement of the miraculous is not the pulpit, it's the coffee shop, or it's the, the lounge, it's the sofa, not the pulpit. It's, the, it's your office, it's your workyard, wherever it is. That's the center of gravity that God is most interested in, in landing. And often we have this kind of charismatic idea, we've got to be praying and stuck in this kind of church environment, and then we go out and it drains away, and then we come back to get more. That's what what a lot of uh, people's experience is. It's not New Testament Christianity. New Testament Christianity is, yeah, you get, you get a little contact point here, but actually the real place God's going to meet you is when, you, when you're out there, because the spring explodes out into a river. So that's what God has for us. So, uh, thanks, Holy Spirit. Let's... Um, Let's pray and make some room. So if you guys want to come up uh, for, um, uh, and get ready to lead. I'm, I'm just going to open this up in, in prayer. Um, Sam and the team are going to lead us in worship to have something to, something to kind of help us focus. That's what's going on here. Something to help us focus. But I'm going to ask that Holy Spirit, the spirit of reality is going to guide us into all reality right now because Jesus promised he would. So either spirit of reality is going to guide us into reality now or Jesus is lying. I don't think Jesus is a liar. So I think Holy Spirit, the spirit of reality is going to guide us into reality. Does that sound fun? I don't know what that looks like for you because I don't know what you need. But God knows. So it might look a little bit mad. It might not. I don't know. 
And what we're going to do is, while that worship's going on, as we're sensing or hearing what the Holy Spirit is showing us and asking us to kind of foreground or call attention to, we'll, we'll come and do that. If you want to receive prayer, especially if you want to receive prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we'd love to do that. Just come, come down the front. We'll pray with you. Nothing magic about it. It's just we'll, we'll pray with you and agree and trust that Jesus means what he says. And the Bible says God gives the Spirit without measure. So there's no limit to what you can have. Okay, so I don't know what you want to do. Maybe you want to sit like the disciples. Maybe you want to stand and, uh, and you know, if you're feeling tired and you want to shake out, shake out your head, that's cool as well. Maybe you want to lie down on your back, on your front, and kneel down. Maybe you want to turn to your neighbor and chat. Maybe you want to spin around. I don't really care. But uh, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do to, to engage your heart, not your head. This is not a head exercise here. It's a heart exercise. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are present. Thank you that you are with us today. Thank you that every person here is your precious and chosen son or daughter. Thank you that you have already made yourself one with them because he who is one with the Lord is one in spirit with him. And right now we speak to the, speak to the well. We agree with the well. Father, I'm conscious there are people here who are thirsty. You said whoever drinks the water that you give them will never thirst because of that eternal upflowing spring. So right now, I I come against the lie of separation. I break the power of the lie of separation over your life, where you have felt that God has been distant, like Eden is something that's unattainable. We break that lie, because Eden has come to live inside of you. You You can't get far away from the Spirit, because the Spirit is living inside of you. And right now, I just speak your heart to come awake. Father, we open our hearts to your wave of grace right now. We recognize that we cannot contain you. We cannot control you. We cannot make you happen. You make us happen. So we open our hearts. And for those of you who are struggling kind of with with being in your head, I want to invite you to join me in this prayer. And it's a prayer of dethroning the mind, where we're saying we're not going to be living. The mind is a a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. So if you feel like your mind has been kicking your butt, you want to shift gears, then you can pray this prayer after me or just agree. Um, Father, we submit our minds. We submit our thinking to you right now. We dethrone the mind and we allow the heart, which is the, the throne of our lives, for you to be enthroned on our heart. And we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to change our thinking around these things to unlock and release us into what you have for us. Where we've, been, uh, where we've been scared or nervous in the past, we give you permission to flood those dry parts of our lives, flood and saturate those parts right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Yeah. Wow. You can just tell him that you want to receive from him. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Speak to the Holy Spirit. You need to speak to Him. Actually, open your mouth and speak to Him. Say, Holy Spirit, I'd like to know you. Holy Spirit, I'd like you to flood me. Holy Spirit, I'd like that spring to rise up within me. Holy Spirit, I'd like that river to flow forth from me. I give you permission. There is literally no problem we could ever have that Holy Spirit doesn't solve. 
Wow, thank you, God. 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 I want to invite people uh, for prayer. If, if you would like someone to pray with you, then just hop up, come on down the front. Or if you want someone to pray for you next to you, then you can do that as well. <laughs>